I'm not even sneaky at all. Power off. <sighs> all right, I know. I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm waiting. Did you get my burp? Probably. Okay. Hi. All right. See, I let you have the first hi. Hi. That's so nice of you. It's not even my birthday. I'm Daniel. I'm Carrie. I'm Patrick. And I'm Grandpa. And welcome to the 2018 Academy Awards. We are coming up on the end of If I Ran the Oscars, where we look at one movie from each year the awards were on TV, and we're not psychic, so we can't exactly see the future, but I think we are going to come pretty close to our 2022 episode being recorded very near to when the awards happen on TV. We didn't plan that. We didn't plan it, so but we might end up just watching that, and then yeah, we'll maybe we'll come back next year. Uh, maybe not. Where we pick, we're picking one movie from every year the awards are on TV. Uh, it's it's, at it's random, chosen at random, so sometimes it's the big winner, sometimes it's the small winner. And we look at what it won for, and then we look at three other randomly chosen categories too uh, to see what else it could have won for. Uh, this year, uh, there's not a ton of fun facts. Uh, third youngest person nominated for best actor happened. So, third eh. youngest, whatever. however. The oldest nominee for a competitive Oscar, Christopher Plummer. Well, he's been around. He was 88. Wow. Hmm. Uh, Mary J. Blige, singer. Yeah, yeah. First person to be nominated for both acting and songwriting in the same year. Huh. Because she was in the movie that she was wrote and performed a song for. Huh. Uh... The oldest winner of a competitive Oscar at 89. Plummer is the oldest actor to be nominated. But the guy who wrote the winning screenplay was 89. 89 when he received the award. Yes. Not 89 when he wrote it. Yeah. Necessarily. Yeah. And first woman to be nominated for Best Cinematography. Hmm. So, excellent there. But this time we did, in fact, roll the high roll. We rolled Best Picture. We rolled Most Awards. We rolled, I finally get to talk about Guillermo del Toro. There you go. The Shape of Water. I'm going to try not to nerd out too much about him, but we can start a little bit with things that you noticed about the movie. Hey, can you guess what this story was inspired by? I mean, like, a, it's a fairy tale. It's it's not really Romeo and Juliet. It's not really Cinderella. It's it's But it's that kind but of a... But it's a pretty classic fairy tale. It's a classic it fairy is. tale. It is. And visually, wouldn't you say it looks kind of like the creature from the Black Lagoon? Oh, I don't know that mm. film. Classic monster horror film. Mm-hmm. Right. In Which, fact, that... I don't is, like horror films. So. Neither necessarily do I, but mm-hmm. that was the inspiration. And Del Toro said he, he pitched a reboot of that movie where it's from the creature from the Black Lagoon's perspective yeah. and he gets the girl at the end. Okay. And they didn't they didn't take that movie, but it turned into this movie. Hmm. Where this is the creature from the Black Lagoon. In this movie, they found him in South America. Yeah. In the Get, Amazon. Yeah. Where they found him in the creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> well, that's not And I was looking around to see if there were some like characters that had the same names, and that's not the case. Yeah. But that would have been funny. I'm going to do a brief aside on Guillermo del Toro, because otherwise we'd just be here all day. Uh, 
You mean you're going to be try to be brief? I'm going to try and be brief. Okay. Guillermo del Toro has done some good stuff. We missed rolling Pan's Labyrinth, but if we could talk about some other movies that people may have heard of, the Hellboy movies, the Pacific Rim movies, the Hobbit movies. So he's a storyteller. He is, in fact, a storyteller. He is a big fan of monster movies and fairy tales. And this comes out in a lot of his work. Uh, there is a video I've seen of him on a like a Japanese TV show, and he gets visited by the actors in costume from classic, like morning live action stuff where they dress up in silly costumes and they fight in front of a paper mache city, and he looks like he's ten and just having the time of his life. It's really great. Uh, on the subject of people we have also heard about, he is one of the three amigos of cinema. The other two amigos would be Alfonso Curan and Alejandro Iñárritu. And why are they the three amigos? Because they're all from Mexico. Well, we have heard of those guys, and because they're and because they're all really good. Huh. And we've talked about the other two. We have. Mm-hmm. And the fact that all three of them are making good movies at the same time is ridiculous. But he's just the director. We can talk about the people. And the first one is, I had never heard of Sally Hawkins before. Before you saw her before, this, before this one. I really, I couldn't, I definitely would not have been able to pick her out of a lineup. She's not done a whole lot as far as mo- like movies go. She's definitely more for theater. Uh, she graduated from the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art mm. and started out you know, being Juliet. Uh, her first major role was in 2002 in All or Nothing, which I understand is fairly decent. She was in some Woody Allen movies. Oh, well. She yeah. was uncredited in Star Wars Episode One. I believe it. Uh, oh, Godzilla and Godzilla King of the Monsters. Do I get any points if that... No, those weren't Del Toro. That could have been. That really could have been. <laughs> could have been. <laughs> that, that, that's his thing. He would have done that. Uh, yeah, she's been part of the Royal Court Theater in London. So, yeah, yeah. good stuff there. She is not mute as this movie it's shows. Portrayed. Portrays. Uh, don't know, like, there's not a whole... It's a little disappointing that there's not as much to say about her as there is about the guys that are in this movie. Mm-hmm. But the guys that are in this movie, we shall begin with Michael Shannon. He is our bad guy in this movie. Nerds will recognize him as General Zod... From the Superman remake. <laughs> mm-hmm. Old parents will remember him as being one half of the newly married couple in Groundhog Day. Yeah, that was... I, I was trying to pick him out. <laughs> the newly married couple in Groundhog Day. Debbie and Fred. That's... Yeah, that's a hard one to pull out of the, that's, out that, of the hat. That's his film debut. Yeah. Huh. His... First big attention was 8 Mile, which I still think we should have watched, but that's another story. But he's been in a fair number of movies, usually as a bad guy. He, he does a good bad guy. Uh, oh yeah, Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, I no. believed he was a bad guy in this film. Uh, they did a very good job of making him be a bad guy. And not only because he was mean to women, though that was most of it. That was a good part of it. We forgot it was the 60s and then he would remind us. Oh, no. Not... I think those ki- those types of characters have been around for always. Yes. But I don't think we can just put it all in the 60s. That's fair. Uh, next guy on our chopping block is Richard Jenkins. He played Giles. 
And I'd seen him in a fair number of things. His big uh, role was the TV show Six Feet Under, which a lot of people think is very good, and I've not really seen. I re- I recognized him uh, from The Cabin in the Woods, which is a meta-horror film and is really good and not actually that scary. Doesn't matter. Uh, he was, in it. fact, nominated for... Best Actor for The Visitor in 2007. And Best Supporting Actor for The Shape of Water. So, good work there. Time to talk about Doug Jones. I'm going to not nerd out about him either. (laughs) Oh, come on. I might. Well, you might a little. I might a little. He's done a lot of work. He has. His Wikipedia page lists him as an actor, contortionist, and mime. He plays the fish guy. The man-fish creature He is the, the man-fish creature. He has been in one, two, three, four, five, six Del Toro movies. Well, they work well together. In just about every single one, he is wearing at least some prosthetic, if not a full rig. Like in Pan's Labyrinth, where he's playing a satyr and he's on Oh, stilts. that's true. Yeah. He was that guy. Yeah. Uh, but his work is... He's best known for... It's like Andy Serkis is known for motion capture. Doug Jones is known for... We put the prosthetics on you. We put the makeup on you. And you do the work the old-fashioned way. Uh, In this movie... Obviously, this movie was made with him in mind. But when he took the part, they told him... Cool. You're the love interest. And he said... Uh... What? I don't play love interests. I play monsters. Uh... But... (laughs) You know, when you've been in enough movies with a director, and he says, no, you can do this, you go, all right. And so he had to practice a lot, and in fact went to a dance studio to look less, to look both more and less like a monster person. He's like practicing. Uh, Interesting in the casting, now that I'm at the casting page, the original casting choice for Giles was Ian McKellen. Too old. Too old, yes, but... If we're going to get someone to play a gay man, it helps to go to the source. Well, not necessarily. I mean, if you're an actor, you should be able yeah. to do what the character requires. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the guy who played Giles did a pretty good job, so. Well, right. I thought it was, it was, um, it didn't go out of bounds for where a character it would have it in the 60s. Yeah. Richard Jenkins. Mm-hmm. And... And he's very recognizable, yeah. although I didn't recognize him with the makeup that he had on. Yeah. But. Uh, the other lady from this movie that we should know about is Octavia Spencer, who played uh, the cleaning lady friend and helper. She's the one that has an Academy Award. That was for... Uh, she got it for The Help in 2011, oh. Yeah, where she played, in fact, a maid. The Help. Yeah. As opposed to this movie, where she plays a maid. A cleaning lady. Hmm. Well, and what was the name of the film that she did? They were... Um, Hidden Figures. Hidden Figures, that's it. Yeah. And I that, enjoyed, that, 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 one's enjoyed a, that film. That one's pretty good. Uh, the rest of the sort of, like, cast with names and faces, it's mostly uh, Canadian actors, because this movie was shot in Canada. And the only one that I thought would be necessarily worth mentioning is David Hewlett. This is the security guy who does not look like he's a security guy mm. who is always being a little like don't watch, watch your language hide behind a clipboard mm. he i definitely once i saw his picture and i saw him up here i knew it 
He plays Dr. Rodney McKay in the Stargate TV shows. He's the token mm. Canadian scientist in mm. Stargate, a TV yeah. show shot in Canada <laughs> about America. And he's, of course, done other things, but that's definitely the one that people would recognize him the most for if they like the nerdy stuff. So that's the people. What about... I think we maybe we should start with, you were on the phone with Uncle John. Oh, no. I, we don't I, talk about that. I, I, I think that's an interesting way, way to look at it, because... I think that I have similar base movie tastes to him. Yeah, well... And I liked this movie. Right. My brother said that he he actually went to and saw this in a theater because they had heard that, you know, how many awards it was going to get or it was nominated or something, and he didn't care for the film. Yeah. And I wonder if part of my appreciation for this has come from all of this time that I've spent looking into... More than just the story being told on the screen and more into how they would do it, what kind of choices were made, things like that. Because mm-hmm. I was getting distracted trying to wait for the color green to pay off. Oh, well, I thought it was paying off from the beginning. Yeah, it was just always... But... I was really like, oh man, is green going to be important? Like red, like red versus green, is that going to check off's gun at the very end? No, I don't think so. But yeah. I think there were always the the movie was very definitely in cool tones until you went to uh, you know bad guy's house, and that was very definitely in amber tones. Well, I think in general and in the in the um, his office was steamy in the in their residence too above the theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was very warm tone. It's all wood, Very, wood and things. And yeah, well, but not, and, not warm as in warm color palette. Yeah, I thought greens it was. and yeah, browns. Well, no, yeah, it was greens, but browns yeah. too. That yeah, it was kind of interesting mix. Well, your talk about technicalities, I think I side with my son because once you read through Heinlein and Asimov, this kind of stuff on yeah, on the second stories. Yeah, no, I think that I think with this one. It's not trying to tell a fantastic, unbelievable science fiction story. Mm-hmm. I think it's trying to tell a normal story that just also has sci-fi in it. So it's yeah, a different yeah, genre than Heinlein is. Yeah, I love interest in some of the flashbacks. Like yeah. Carmen, I recognize Carmen Miranda right around. Yeah. Right away. You know who she was? The lady, you know, the lady mm-hmm. with a basket of fruit on her head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think she just had her hair up in a turban on this one. I don't mm-hmm. think she had any fruit mm-hmm. on it, but... I mean, I'm not deprecating her. She, she yeah. was an interesting character in her time. And fun to... Oh, man. Now now I'm scrolling through here about the very uh, bad guy. He had early conversations, and the way he played his character was, if this movie had been made in the 50s, he would have been the hero. Oh, so he thought he was the hero of the show. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously okay. the actor yeah. right. played the it character. out, but the character is playing this out like he's the yeah. plucky underdog. That is trying to do what's right. So, I mean, that makes sense. That's definitely oh, yeah, the way his character he was. It. Yeah. There's not a whole lot that we can necessarily talk about plot wise in this one because, again, I think this one, I mean, it's it's not necessarily anything super new. No. We've storyline wise. The I I hate to I don't hate to use the pun. I don't hate to use the pun. Fish out of water. Love stories have been told before. <laughs> yeah. It. I mean, it was very much, I think I heard it described as a fairy tale or something along those lines. It's very much like so many others 
of that nature. Yeah. The Beauty and the Beast or the, you know, pick a, pick a story. Yeah, you... Why is this thing happening? Who cares? It's a fairy tale. Yeah. And in as a fairy tale, I think it works. I think you could probably find a Shakespearean parallel. Well, or usually several. with Shakespeare, there's some ridiculous, you know, comic character that comes in in Act 2. We didn't really have that. No, we didn't no. have that. that. That would have almost certainly detracted from this, I think. We didn't find a comic character in this film. Not really. No. But that's okay. So... Our first role, the one that we're talking about, is Best Picture. We're just skipping right to the top of this movie being given Best Picture. So what was it up against? Well, lots of things. Yeah, because now we're into the... We're into the 10 movie era. So... That's a lot. There's a... Dunkirk's on the list. That was good. Uh, Lady Bird. Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Unusual. Yeah. I don't recognize a lot of the names of the movies, which is interesting. So, uh, Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, which was a very good movie, but not in a genre I appreciate, Mm -hmm. Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, and Three Billboards. Uh, The Post was Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks, so you know, right there. But the interesting fact about them winning Best Picture is... I uh, the last time a Best Picture winner was not in the top ten like earningest movies of the year was two thousand and three. So this was not necessarily a hugely financially successful movie. I mean, it made its money back, obviously, but this was not a movie that a lot of people were necessarily going to because it's a pretty niche genre. Mm-hmm. Well, and I also think that there's uh, the. You know, the production values and the art direction and the just the cinematic choices, the the way the story plays out visually is so different from oh, the Avengers. Yeah. So now, different from what what's the, interesting that you mentioned the Avengers, because that's important to the point I'm about to make. I this was not planned. It was not. Is mm-hmm. that movies like the Avengers don't get nominated for Best Picture all that often. In fact, it was a very big deal when Black Panther was in there. Mm-hmm. And if I'm remembering my news correctly, the wildly financially successful Spider-Man movie that happened... Last year? Last year mm-hmm. was not nominated for Best Picture. Because money doesn't necessarily equate with what the... Because the Academy yeah. is people that are in the field. Yeah. They're looking at that are made well, that are presented well, not mm-hmm. just... You know, what the are, public will buy. Yeah, because you will almost certainly never find a gourmet chef telling, extolling the merits of Pringles. Probably not. <laughs> Despite how much money Pringles makes. <laughs> right. Or how good they taste. Exactly. Yeah, because right. that's when you're looking for good food. You know, the chefs of America you you know, look, award you... is not going to go to Pringles. Yeah. So. Very good movie. Uh, also got Best Director for it. Mm-hmm. So good good on him there. Our first bonus category is Best Animated Feature. Now, those of you who may have seen this movie before or thought about it once will know that it's not animated. It's not animated. I don't, and they did not use C, they didn't use CG for the, for the guy. fish creature. The, the there was some CG. The intro was almost certainly yeah, computer animated. Even those who yeah. never heard of it. Yeah. It. But because that's what we randomly rolled, I thought it 
prudent to at least look up the movies that were participating in that category. Mm -hmm. So the winner is Coco, which is a Pixar movie and therefore very good. Because they just... They just crank up. Such high quality. There are two other nominees that I definitely recognized by name because they're honky. One is The Boss Baby, Academy Award-nominated Boss Baby. That's a movie where a baby is smart and does crime, I think. It's not great. The other one is Ferdinand. It's a movie about a bull. Yeah. You may have read that book before. It's starring John Cena, the wrestler, as the bull. It's not great. Oh, but it got nominated? Of course it did. There weren't that many. Good one. There weren't that many like financially successful. It made its... I think it, I've closed on the daisy. It, it made its budget yeah. back twice, so it was, you know, yeah. you got to get all five in there. But there are two others that I didn't recognize. And when I looked them up, I then immediately requested them from the library. Uh-huh. So that's what I'm going to be doing later. One is called The Breadwinner. It is based on a novel by the same name. It is produced by Angelina Jolie. It is an international co-production between Canada, Ireland, and Luxembourg. And it looks quaint and adorable, and I kind of want to see it. Well, you must really want to see it if you requested it from the library. Mm Mm-hmm. The other one is called Loving Vincent, as in... I think I've heard of that. Van Gogh. Mm Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, it's an experimental, animated, biographical drama. And I thought, okay... All right. We watch all kinds of stuff here. What's this sentence here? It is the first fully painted film. Wow. Yeah, there we go. That's the face I was waiting to see. That's why I didn't tell you before. Fully painted. I thought I had heard of it, but I didn't Every it was... frame of the movie is oil on canvas, and then they took a picture of it. There you go. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> it, under production here, it notes... Where's the, where's the quote? Definitely, without a doubt, invented the slowest form of filmmaking. <laughs> what they did yeah. is they filmed sort of the way the movie was going to go. Mm-hmm. Then they traced every frame onto a different canvas. Mm-hmm. And they got 120 artists together and did impressionism of every frame. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Wow. And then... After they were photographed, mm-hmm. they did the Van Gogh thing. And they just painted over them and did other stuff. Wow. So there's only about a thousand of the 65,000 frames left mm-hmm. that still have the original art on top. Yeah, because they got covered. So that one didn't win. So it obviously wasn't part of our... Yeah. We couldn't have rolled that one. But I, I saw that and I thought, no, we need this from the library. We yeah. need to see this now. Yeah. So... Interesting things going on there. We can talk about sound effects. It was, uh, I believe, nominated in both sound categories. Uh, it lost to Dunkirk in both of them because war explosions. No, that, that was a good film. But it I was. do like me some historical drama. Yeah. Uh, the sound guys in this one, it's not like these are Del Toro's best guys. These are the good Canadian ones. Oh, sure. And uh, have won, you know, various Canadian awards, own sound companies. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of big names that you necessarily will have heard of before. Unless uh, you're Canadian. Unless you're Canadian. Uh, one of the guys I uh, did sound work for Hatfields and McCoys on TV and The Mortal Instruments, City of Bones, 
which is a thing that you may have heard of. No. All right, just a second. <laughs> no, it's not. That w- that's a movie based on a young adult dystopian novel series, and it's... Oh, God. really? Yeah, mm, it's interesting. Uh, but the soundtrack for this one did win, oh. and that is Alexander Desplat. He is French, and he won for both this and then previously Grand Budapest Hotel. He's done some work with Wes Anderson, you see. Yep. And Harry Potter 1 and 2. Harry Potter Deathly Hallows 1 and 2. And the King's Game. King's Speech and Imitation Game. Got those mixed up. So, good on him. Our third bonus category is Special Effects, which, when I noticed it was not even nominated for visual effects. Well, that's because they... they I don't think they relied a lot on no, they didn't. effects. I think they... I mean, because it was costuming, it was actual effects. Yeah, which says something for the way the movie was made, mm-hmm. that they had so few visual effects, where it would have been very easy for them to, like, no, he is a CGI man. Right. And we'll cover the problems of how we make the water look realistic on him in post. But I think that that also added to the fairy tale aspect of this film, where fairy tales are... You know that they're not real. Yeah. You know, when, you, when you're when you a kid and you read a fairy tale, you, you know it's not real. But I think because the stories are close enough to what you dream about or what you think could be possible, then you connect with a fairy tale that way. And I think this story, because they kept the people and the... Aquaman was really a man in a suit that kept it closer to fairy tale esque. Yeah. As opposed to, um, you know, movies that use a lot of computer generated things, where then it, I think it pulls you away from the that connection to the story. So, the visual effects movies from this year Blade Runner, Star Wars movies. <laughs> It was, in fact, Kong Skull Island and War for the Planet of the Apes. And I believe... I'm going to do a real quick check now. Oh. You're shaking my head. The quick check was to see if it said up front if King Kong was uh, played by Andy Serkis. Because that would mean he was both monkeys. (laughs) (laughs) That's silly. So, a good movie. I don't... I, I know why I didn't see this initially. Is because... It's like, uh, it's a romance movie. Eh. And I hadn't fully appreciated all of the hard work that goes into the behind the scenes. Or I would have gone, ooh, it's the guy what wears cool suits. I want to see him. Yeah. Anything else? He does serious makeup, that guy. He does. Well, I thought it was interesting that the opening weekend in the U.S. and Canada was $166,000. That's really low. That's like the, four people went to the theater. The budget, estimated budget was about $20 million, which is not yeah. particularly high no. for these days, you know, when, when movies are getting up over $100 million. Yeah. And and the U.S. gross was good. The international gross was $195 million. Yeah. This was a so little... internationally, it did really well. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. The other, the other fact that I thought was kind of cool is Del Toro did the voice. Of the Aquaman. He did all the parts? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Man. Which is just kind of interesting little tidbit of trivia. He got credited. All right. Maybe he, he gets some royalties. Maybe he, he didn't get credited. Now yeah. that I think about it. 
All right. Well, we want to thank the Academy for doing its job and thereby pointing us in the direction of quality filmmaking. Bye. Bye. Bye.